welcome back. Where have you been? Where have we been? Welcome back to the Gridiron College Football Show for 2019. This is a season preview. I'm Simon Clancy, joined as always by the editor of the magazine, Matthew Sherry. Matt, how are you? How excited are you? Looking forward to the new season, which begins in seven, eight days' time. Um, lots to go out in this preview show. Should be a fascinating year of college football. Yeah, absolutely. I can't actually believe it's it's so close. I mean, I, I don't know. Usually for me, the off-season is just brutal and I'm just waiting for it. But it feels like it's snuck up on me a little bit this year, maybe because of the the exciting week zero that we have this year. Um, but yeah, absolutely can't wait. Again, I'm probably as, if not more, excited for college this year than, as I am the NFL. So. What what sort of things? Just give us a quick overview before we dig down into a bit more depth. What what sort of things are you looking forward to? Who are you looking forward to seeing? Uh, what storylines are you expecting to follow? I mean, I, I guess ultimately the year again is going to come down on a on a bigger picture level to whether there's anybody who can break into that Alabama Clemson axis in the top two and and. That to me is going to be the most fascinating element of of the season once again. I, I, I fear that they've broken even further away yeah, from the rest, the rest with, with perhaps one or two teams who I could see potentially causing some problems. So for me, that's going to be the big storyline. But then I think for me, particularly in the SEC, I at least see signs of life below Alabama. You know, I see Dan Mullen in Florida, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A and M. And I see a potential for that stranglehold in the SEC to be broken at some point. And you've got Kirby Smart with what he's doing at Georgia. So for me, I'm looking for those programs who have had great first years under under new head coaches to to begin to bridge that gap to, towards the elite and, and maybe create a, a more open race in in future years. Because I think I think for the next year or two, certainly this year with Tua and Trevor. At Clemson, I think those two teams are dominant, but I think we need to start looking at other teams to see signs of life for, for down the line. I think one of the most interesting things that's happened, uh, certainly in the off-season, <clears throat> is the transfer of quarterbacks. The, the transfer portal became a, a huge thing, certainly on social media, uh, with, with quarterbacks able to move around um, from university to university. And you look at, uh, I mean, you take it back to Riley Neal, uh, now at Vanderbilt, went to Ball State, Tommy Stevens, obviously from Penn State to Mississippi State. You had Austin Kendall, who was stuck behind uh, Baker Mayfield and uh, and Kyler Murray at Oklahoma, now gone to West Virginia um, to start under uh, under Neil Brown in his first year. Ben Hicks, the graduate transfer um, at Arkansas, having been at SMU. You've got Josh Jackson at Maryland. Um, Shane Bukele at at SMU, obviously at Texas, was stuck behind uh, Sam Ellinger. He's gone to SMU there. Um, Alex Hornibrook, Wisconsin, now at Florida State. Uh, won't start, um, but has had the opportunity to um, to uh, to battle out with James Blackman, Brandon Wimbush, obviously from Notre Dame to UCF, and then some of the bigger names. You got the Hunter Johnsons, um, who went to uh, uh, who went to, to Northwestern. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Under Pat Fitzgerald, Tate Martell of Ohio State went to to Miami. Interestingly, though, last night Martell was playing wide receiver. He lost the. Um, he lost the QB race, and uh, Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald reported that Martell was playing wide receiver, which will be interesting to see how um, see how he uh, he kicks on. Kelly Bryant, obviously at Clemson, lost out to Trevor Lawrence, and we all know what happened there. Went to Missouri. You'll have Justin Fields, uh, kind of up there with Trevor Lawrence in terms of in terms of highlighted recruits or storied recruits. Um, 
my mum's fire alarm is going off, which is helpful. Sorry. No worries, man. I'll make a note. At least it's working. Yeah. Uh, I'll pick it back up again. Uh, you've got Justin Fields, obviously, who left Georgia. Um, wasn't going to be out Jake from. Moved to Ohio State. Still hasn't won the job yet. It's still... Um, hasn't been announced that he's won the job yet, anyway. And then Jalen Hurts, obviously, at Oklahoma. Um, the opportunity to play under Lincoln Riley. We all saw what he's capable of, certainly on the run. How much will Lincoln Riley be able to tailor his uh, tailor his passing ability? We've seen what he's done the last couple of years with Mayfield and Murray. Jalen Hurts in, in pretty much the, the perfect position. and Looked really good in the SEC Championship game last year when he led that comeback for... Um, for Alabama against Georgia. And I suppose the one other guy to look out for is Jacob Eason. Wasn't involved in the transfer this year. Uh, sat out 2018 um, behind Jake Browning at Washington, but hugely recruited uh, at Georgia, transferred to Washington. And, you know, if he has a strong senior season, this is somebody that could play himself into the first round of the NFL draft next season. What, what have you... Uh, I think I think he's another one, though, where it's not sure yet whether he's actually going to win the job. That's the interesting part with absolutely. all of these guys. Absolutely. What, what, how do you see it playing out? Do you see... Which of these guys do you see making a, a, an impact? I mean, you have to say Justin Fields. I mean, anybody who, who listened to us last year knows at the start of the season our big kind of storyline because we'd spent that time in Georgia with Trevor Lawrence was was this kind of battle between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields because it seems funny to say now because people haven't seen Justin Fields really play at the college level but when we were there it was very much one and one here wasn't it in terms of the description of those two guys as basically the greatest high school quarterbacks ever they just happened to come out in the same year from the same state so you know it was a big coup for Ohio State to get him um, you think he's going into a perfect situation with, I think Ryan Day's a top five offensive mind in college football. It remains to be seen what he's like as a head coach, but you know the signs were good in the three games that he won last year. And yeah, I think Fields to me is just the fascinating one, and it's fascinating on multiple levels. You know, Urban Meyer's not there anymore. But I think that ultimately benefits Fields because we may see a little bit more of a pro style on offense. And truthfully, Ohio State can't really afford to take risks with him running the ball too much because they've got nobody backing him up. You know, you think back to the days under early Urban Meyer when they had three quarterbacks in that national championship season. You know, this year it's it's basically Justin Fields or bust. So I think that the stakes that he goes into at one of the biggest programs in college football just makes for a real fascinating subplot to the season. Um, where do you see Justin Fields leading Ohio State to? Because I mean, he has he has an awful lot of ability. Um, he has obviously the talent. He has the coaching staff to become. I mean, is it too much to say that he could be an all-time great Ohio State quarterback? But but it's going to take him some time to get there, isn't he? What are the what are the what's the limits that we can put on Justin Fields in year one in Ryan Day's offense? Or are I'm there no limits? Sure that, I, I don't think there are limits at a program like Ohio State. One thing Evan Mayer did exceptionally well over a long period of time was recruit. And I mean, they've basically led the Big Ten in recruiting every year that Maya was there, I think except for the year just gone where Michigan just pipped them. But, you know, they are talent-laden again. You know, they've got certainly the potential first overall pick of non-quarterbacks in the next NFL draft on the defensive line. 
you know, it's just, it's just, there is always talent there. So the ceiling doesn't exist for me. I mean, I think that, I think that they're going to have a much bigger competitor in Michigan this year. I mean, I obviously... Spoke like a true Michigan my, fan. Yeah, it, I have my leanings. But ultimately, you know, sorry, we've discussed Michigan at length, both on this podcast and privately. The problem with Michigan was their offense, and it was an offense that was archaic. It has basically cost them every year of Jim Harbaugh's tenure. And they've recruited Josh Gattis, who was Alabama's wide receivers coach, and also was... One of the one of the kind of key guys when Penn State were really good a couple of years ago as well, and that uh, helping out with that offensive system is his first time as a coordinator. But he's he's Jim Harbaugh had never met him, phoned him up and said, "Look, I want you to come and run our offense." First year coordinator, I'm not going to interfere. That's very ungin Jim Harbaugh like, but I think it speaks to the to the reputation that guys has in college football. And he's going to bring this spread RPO laden offense, which is what Shea Patterson does well. It's what McCaffrey, the backup quarterback, does well. So I think that the the Michigan defense will be the Michigan defense as we know. But now they finally have an offense that looks competent. Because the offense that they were fielding last year was just, I mean, it was dreadful. I mean, we said that when we saw it in person, even when they put up 40 points. We said it all the way through last season. So I think it's Michigan, it's Ohio State with Penn State, a slight notch below them in the Big Ten. Um, but I, I have I, there's nothing to choose between Michigan and Ohio State because how can we predict what Justin Fields is going to be? But I, I do think it'll be a more interesting battle when those two teams play each other than than certainly it was last year. Um, what do you think about? Uh, I mean, we'll get into the top ten in a sec and predictions for the national championship itself. G- give me a theme out of the top ten that could make a real impact um, and just be a surprise dark horse. <sighs> That's, that's a, a that's, that's a tough, a tough one. one. There's a lot of teams I like. I mean, I'm assuming Oregon are in the top ten. I haven't actually looked at the. I mean, I'll give you Sports Illustrated's top ten: Florida at ten, Oregon at nine. This is their preseason top ten: LSU at eight, Notre Dame at seven, Ohio State six, Texas five, Oklahoma four, Georgia three, Clemson two, Alabama one. Yeah, well, I have got one then. It's the team Oregon play in week one, which is Auburn. Because, you know, Auburn are, the, are college football's expect the unexpected team. They, they seem to really go in cycles. One year they're brilliant, the next year they're rubbish. Last year they weren't great, so they're due to be good again. I like the fact that they are going back to a run-heavy offense under Gus Malzahn because... What Malzahn has shown in the past is he can really diversify his running game and create a, a good offence, a good college football offence. I don't think he can create a good passing offence for somebody like Jared Stidham, who was clearly just stunned massively in that system. But for me, with Auburn, similar to Ohio State, there's always talent. I think they've got the best defensive line in college football. That, to me, is always in college football one of the areas I look for to, to see a championship team yeah Derek now, Brown is going to be a guy that you're going to see in the top 5 top 8 of next year's NFL draft big 318 320 pound kind of cornerstone of their defensive line very dominant interior overwhelming power good pass rusher um, he is a um, he's a star yeah and 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 that's just the way Auburn are. And it's kind of the way Gus Malzahn's tenure is. Just when you think, like, you look at it now, that if they lose to Oregon in week one, you could see Gus Malzahn being out of a job by October. But whenever that's been the situation, they've generally rallied and performed. So don't be surprised if Oregon continue that roller coaster ride that they have season to season and, and, and shock a few people along the way. They're going to need to rely heavily on that run game, though, aren't they? You're going to, yeah, you know, absolutely. Jartavius Whitlow, who was the high school quarterback who then ran for 700 plus yards last season, is going to need to hit the ground running 
in Atlanta against Oregon, isn't he? Because otherwise they're going to be in yeah. deep trouble. I mean, you'll remember, Si, when they played played Florida State in the national championship a couple of years ago. You know, at that point we were thinking Malzahn in terms of scheming up this run game was the next great, you know, innovative offensive mind. And he's he's kind of fallen away from that, but I think also fallen away from the roots of that system. So him taking back the control of the offense to me is the interesting element. And I I could they interest me, Auburn, because I could see it going disastrously, but I could also see them winning 10, 11 games. It, I, I just think, but I'd, I, I think it's probably not going to be in the middle of those two things. I think it's going to be like seven wins or 11 wins kind of thing. Who do you think is going to win the quarterback job? Will it be Bo Nix, the highly regarded true freshman, or the redshirt Joey Gatewood, the redshirt freshman? Because somebody's going to need to, to lead that um, to lead that offense. Both are highly talented. I wouldn't be surprised if you see both of them in the season. It strikes me as one of those situations where there's no... You know, you, you look at quarterback battles. So, like, when we were talking earlier, we know Fields is going to win the job. We know Jalen Hurts is ultimately going to win the job. With that one, I can see a scenario where both guys play and then eventually the hot hand gets settled on as, as the season runs along. I'm going to go with uh, Utah, actually. Yeah, um, absolutely. To me, the Utes are the clear favourite to win the, the Pac-12 South. Um, but actually... I don't see that a Rose Bowl trip, a first ever trip to the Rose Bowl, is out of the the possibilities for them. Um, nine and five last year, lost I think in the Holiday Bowl to Northwestern. Um, and you look at some of their players, you know, especially that defensive line, Bradley Anne and Lakey Foto on that defensive line. They got Jalen Johnson, who's a quarterback, cornerback, who's going to go very high uh, next year. And then obviously Zach Moss returning from the injury at running back. I think that's a that's a team that could push on deep into I've the. Got a- I've got a very big wild card for you. Hit me. To be a top 10 team. Just to pick one outside of the power conferences. Cincinnati. Oh, Desmond Ridder, the quarterback. A massive fan. Yeah, I'm a huge fan as well. They had a great season last year. Their first two games are UCLA and at Ohio State. If they can win both of those games, and then UCLA and Ohio State can still have good seasons... Cincinnati could have, uh, like, just say they win those two and then go and beat the rest of the way. They could have an incredible case to even potentially be the first non-Power 5 team to break into the playoff. Like, it needs to go right for them early on in the season, but if it does look out, because, I mean, they're, they're at home against UCLA who they beat last season. I think UCLA will be a lot better this year because there were good signs at the yeah. end of last. Um, and then it's that big one. If they win at Ohio State... So, you know, teams can lose early in the season, big teams like Ohio State, and then Ohio State can still post 11, 11 wins or something like that, then they're going to have the kind of record that, that gets them up there towards the the kind of top 10, top 5 if they could go and beat them. It's mean, obviously a long shot, but... They were the most under-the-radar the under 11-2 team last year that I can possibly remember. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, look, and as you say, they've got a quarterback, a quarterback who I think will be getting national attention come December. Ridder is essentially where Jordan Love was this time last year in terms of not yeah. really well known on the on the national scene, but threw for twenty five hundred yards, twenty touchdowns, just five interceptions. He's mobile. He's six foot four, two twelve. Um, he's a very very good quarterback. The, Michael Warren is the star for them, isn't he? The running back, fourteen hundred yards rushing last year, nineteen touchdowns. Um, and they get, I think they get their 2017 best rusher back, uh, the Dokes kid who missed all last season with an injury. It's a, um, they're they're an interesting team. I'll, t- I'll give you another team that I, I, I'm very high on as well. We, um, we talk about them a lot, I think, probably because we we want to go there, and that's Iowa State. Um, 
just uh, I, I I genuinely am going to place some money on them on them winning the uh, winning the winning the Big Twelve. Yeah, I can see, and in Brock Purdy again, not eligible for the draft next year, but he will be um, he will be a very highly rated or should if you know if he maintains his progression, he's he's very much Drew Brees like in his in his style of play, in his size, in his arm strength. Um, obviously, they lose David Montgomery and um, and. Um, uh, the receiver who you drafted in the first round, um, but uh, it's um, it's just an interesting team with a very interesting quarterback, and they they do a terrific job of sort of retooling that team year on year. And Ames is a great place to to go and play football and be a be a student. Uh, I've got a friend who goes to Marquette and has been to Ames a couple of times and just says that the atmosphere there is absolutely incredible. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, I would I would have Ohio State as an outside, not not maybe not to break into the top ten, but certainly into the into the top fifteen. Just one other team as well to talk about the the re- rehabilitation, the rebirth of Scott Frost's Nebraska. Yeah, they look like a team that could potentially work their way up into something um, a little bit higher. Finished the last season on a high, 4-8, and eight, if you can call 4-8 and eight a high, but certainly at one point... But, they were- but sim- similar to the, you know, similar to Chip Kelly, similar to his mentor at UCLA, if you look at the last five weeks of the season, you could really see the programme starting to turn around. Yeah, and they're doing so with with a, a quarterback in, in Taylor Martinez, who w- was very highly rated, but just, again... Same as Brock Purdy, same as Trevor Lawrence. If he continues that upward swing and continues to develop in the way that he did in year one, he is a very, very high first-round pick in in twenty twenty-one. Yeah, I can see Trevor Lawrence, Adrian Martinez being top. I mean, Lawrence is number one, but I think I can see Martinez being that next guy underneath him. Well, and and it's kind of great for the Cornhusker fans that it's being done under one of their one of their own sons isn't it Scott Frost yeah. it's uh it, it's kind of important for Nebraska to get back to where they to where they were but are doing so with a with a son of Nebraska yeah absolutely and I mean that's the that to me is the best part of college football is when guys like that come back in as coach especially when they've they've kind of built a reputation elsewhere and, and come back to to really restore one of the traditional college football powers and and that would be exciting. The one thing I wanted to say on Iowa State as well, by the way, obviously they, they, they do lose Butler and, and Montgomery, but they have easily the best defense in that conference yeah. as well. Like, you know, that if you just look at two elements of defense and quarterback, for me, if Texas aren't back in the way people think they are and Oklahoma take a step backwards, there is a potential there for, for Iowa State to spring the ultimate upset and win, and win the conference. Let's go to that top 10 then uh, and just kind of count down through through the teams. We are, I know I certainly am going to be at Clemson, Texas A&M early in the season. Before we just get to that top 10, how much of a threat is Jimbo Fisher's Texas A&M team to Nick Saban? Uh, because they feel like under Kellen Mond, they are beginning to get back to the level that they were um, in the early stages of Kevin Sumlin, the, the sort of Johnny Manziel era, but but with a lot more, um, with a lot more now, I suppose, a lot more commitment to the cause. They don't feel quite as flaky with, with with Jimbo Fisher. Certainly trending in the right direction. Elite talent brought in in the last two recruiting classes, and that's going to start to pay off very soon. That game against Clemson early in the season is going to be a very big indicator of where A and M are. Yeah, and I mean, do you know. For, for me, both Callum Mond and Felipe Francois, the the, the Florida quarterback, they, they Felipe Frank, sorry, they 
they sum up the difference these great quarterback coaches make in college football, like Jimbo. And and Mond, I, I remember that they played week two again last year, and I remember looking at Mond and thinking, wow, he looks a lot better than I ever anticipated then. And then you watch that progression over the season, and you see what Jimbo was able to do in, in one off season, so I can't wait to see what he can do in in a second one. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think they are a threat to Alabama. It certainly in time. I mean, I think was it year two of Kirby Spark when Georgia really stepped it up? It was, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Often that's often what happens, isn't it? You see the good signs in the first year, and then the second year they they take that leap onwards again. And and I think that there's every chance of A and M doing that. I mean. I think last year they were second in the recruiting rankings as well. So, as you say, there's the pipeline being built. And, and yeah, I think we'll, we'll start to see the fruits of that immediately this year. You mentioned Felipe Franks then. Uh, a huge leap uh, he took on the field under um, under Dan Mullen last year. What what do you think the projections are for Florida this season? What do you th- Because, you know, Mullen's talked about them winning a national championship and it, it, it looks clear like they're putting together a sort of perennial playoff team. What... what um, what do you think? Because offensively, they're a little bit inconsistent last year. They obviously need help on that offensive line. Uh, they, they've got some, you know, Lamico P. Ryan in the backfield is a terrific, terrific running back. Is Felipe Franks ready to take his game? Because he's going to have to, you know, if Florida are going to get into the playoff, Felipe Franks is going to have to play like a Heisman Trophy candidate, isn't he? Does he have that game? Uh, I don't think he does, no, ultimately. I think, I think, I think for Florida, it's the next quarterback. You know what I mean? That'll be the one where we we really start to judge. Um, we we really start to judge Mullen. I mean, I thought Emery Jones was going to end up being that guy, dual threat guy who played a little bit last year as, yeah. a, as a true freshman. Um, I, I wonder what's going on with his development. Whether he whether he comes in at some points next season, whether we see more of him. But it seems like now it's it's Frank's job, and I ultimately think Frank's is one of those good college quarterbacks who ultimately isn't good enough to bridge the gap to the top four, but also not just he isn't good enough. I'm not sure the rest of Florida's team is yet good enough to bridge that gap. I think they're a, where they're ranked now is about where I think they'll be ranked at the end of the season. Okay, okay. I mean, you look defensively and, and you know, everything starts with their cornerbacks. They're getting, they've obviously got CJ Henderson, who should be a first round pick next year, but they're getting Marco Wilson back 100% after the knee injury last year. And, you know, Chris Steele, their their highly regarded, um, highly regarded uh, prospect transfer, but Wilson was a Wilson was a pass breakup machine as a as a freshman, and uh, pairing him with Henderson, that's arguably the best. I mean, it's one of the best cornerback units in in the nation, but it's certainly the best in the SEC. Yeah, it is. And do you know what I think makes it difficult at the moment in the SEC is in the past I would I would agree that there's a good chance that they could bridge the gap, but. The difference between this Alabama team and all previous ilks is the quarterback. You know, the, Nick Saban is always going to field a good defense to get enough talented athletes, athletes through there every year, and he is such a great defensive mind. But now you're pairing it with the offense, that great quarterback, those incredible wide receivers. And I just think, for me, for all these teams, ultimately, I can see them just coming up that bridge short, except for maybe Georgia, who... I genuinely think Georgia could win could win the whole thing this year. They've come so close two years in a row. But for those other teams just below, I think that 
the gap to Alabama now is bigger because Alabama are so well-rounded in a way that they haven't been before. So I think that whereas maybe in the past you could get an LSU team with Zach Mettenberger, a quarterback, who their defence is so great, they can play Alabama in a 13-10 game and potentially win it and, and go on and win a national title. You know, I'm not sure that can happen now. Let's move on to Oregon, ninth-ranked team in the, in Sports Illustrated's top 10. And obviously everything revolves around Justin Herbert, who returned for his senior season um, in something of a surprise because he'd almost certainly be taking snaps for the New York Giants now. But w- he has to eliminate the inconsistency. I mean, this is a kid clearly who's being talked about as a potential first overall pick next year. We've heard lots of the, in the off-season, you know, scouts who've been out to, to Corvallis to see him play, general managers feeding back to people like Peter King and Albert Breer and, and people like that talking up Herbert's, you know, top three, maybe even top one potential. Um, I don't see that personally. I don't see him vaulting to a Tungavailoa at all. Loses Dylan Mitchell, obviously, but they they, they land uh, Jawan Johnson, the, the Penn State transfer. But really, as Herbert goes, Oregon go, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's a fascinating. The guys who don't come out in the draft when they could be top five picks always fascinate me. Like I always remember Matt Barkley. <laughs> I'll know like the year Andrew Andrew Luck came out, I think, and he stayed in school, and everybody thought it was going to be. Barkley in the mix and then he ends up being a, a fourth round pick I think with the Eagles you know I always think it's a huge risk I can see why him more than others has done it you know he's an Oregon kid he grew up obviously wanted to play with his brother as well who's an incoming yeah, freshman his, his, his brother's just been recruited and he's always dreamed of winning winning the whole thing with Oregon so I think yeah I mean it's just interesting but yeah ultimately as you say as he goes they go, and then his draft stock goes as well. I mean, there is potentially not one player in college football this year with more riding on the season than Herbert, and that's a lot of pressure. The situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover. The incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now. Hello, Gabby Logan here, and I'm pitch side at Welland FC, where Suki and his mate Simon have arranged a kickabout to fundraise for sport relief. It's 11.47 on a Sunday. I think some of these players are a little worse for wear. But they're here, they've got their kit on, they're kicking against injustice and smashing poverty right out the box. They're still 2-0 down, though. Oh, but would you look at that goal! You can help change the world, too. Just order your free fundraising pack at sportrelief.com. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. Let's move on to to, to LSU, um, who are ranked number eight. Can Ed Orgeron's team win the SEC? Is Joe Burrow good enough to to lead them? He was consistently decent last year, and at times he was he was really good. Only threw five interceptions, didn't throw a pick in the first five games. Um, where do we see LSU? And certainly offensively, are they good enough? Do they have enough? talent at the skill positions obviously they've lost um they've lost uh, Nick Brissett but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks like he'll be the the starter they have the they have the five-star recruit Peter Parrish the quarterback I mean if, if Burrow stumbles 
could you could you see because Ed Orgeron doesn't strike me as somebody that would would Joe Burrow seems to be the perfect quarterback for an Ed Orgeron team. I think that's what I'm probably trying to say. But do do you think they have the right talent around Burrow to really to really push for the SEC title? Uh, yes, I think that they are the other team in the SEC who could who could use Serb Alabama, and that's simply because. They've got a great running back again. I mean, Brossett was. Uh, I mean, he's in camp with the Patriots at the moment, actually. But he he, he was just a he's just a road grain decent running back, wasn't he? He was yeah. nothing more than that. LSU to me have the defense that is so talented that they could really get there because their defense is absolutely loaded, and I can just see them playing LSU football. But but having in Burrow a guy who isn't going to make mistakes. And can make just enough big plays when put alongside. I mean, Hilaire is probably the guy I'm maybe top five guy I'm most excited to watch this season because he just looks. Really? All the reports are that this guy is going to be absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the running game. I think that they've, I think they get back to, to where they were. Um, there's been some reports out of LSU camp that this, that this running game is going to be. Back to LSU, it's best for net level good. So yeah, I think if that happens, they've got a real chance. They've got Tyrion Davis, the the big time recruit. John Emery will be expected, I think, to produce early on. What the the guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops is Justin Jefferson, the the receiver who had almost a thousand yards last season. Coupled with those those big sophomores that they've got in Chase and what's the other guy called uh, Mark Terrence Marshall. Uh, I think that 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 will be yeah. interesting to see how they how they progress. Let's move up one. Ian Book's Notre Dame lost out to, to Clemson in the playoff last year, fell apart really in the playoff last year uh, after going 12-1. and one. Lots of lots of graduating talent, both on offense and on defense. But, you know, you look like guys like Julian Aquara and Alohi Gilman. Um, they still have talent on that on that Notre Dame team, don't they? What, what are you expecting out of the Irish this season? Because they haven't won a New Year's bowl game under... Brian Kelly. I mean, uh, and, and it's not so long ago that this was the the sort of three and nine, four and eight Notre Dame team. I mean, four and eight in twenty sixteen. Where where do we find them? Because they won. I mean, they've now won twenty two of the last twenty six games. So this is still a team on the, on the up, but much the same as LSU. Can Ian Book just graduate them into the upper echelon of of where they need to be? Yeah. yeah. Just, Just to correct myself, John Emery is the LSU running back. I'm talking about the guy who you mentioned afterwards. He's the five-star kid. I've got the two mixed up. But all the reports are out of LSU that this kid is going to be the next Leonard Fournette. So I think that'll make the difference. But Ian Book, to me, I, you know, I would put Ian Book in a category ahead of Burrow. I think he's a better quarterback than that. Um, I think he showed enough, enough last season prior to the playoff where he was exceptional, actually. It was only towards the end of the year he started to have some injury issues. So, so I, th- I think they've lost a lot of talent, though, having the Notre Dame. I mean, I watched the, their games last season, and there's so many balls going up to these giant wide receivers who we're now seeing the NFL and who are who, who reeling them in. I think Notre Dame take a step back, ultimately. Yeah, I can't I see them being a playoff too. team again. No, I mean, I mean the, the big game on the schedule is Michigan again, but they'll play them at Michigan. Chase Claypool needing to step up for Miles Boykin at receiver. Dexter Williams, obviously the home run hitting running back, has gone. Is, is in Green Bay. Where do he? Derek Tillery, obviously gone on the defensive line. Julian Love gone at, at, at cornerback. 
where do we where do we see Notre Dame's ceiling this season? Because for me, it's not it's not nearly. I mean, I don't think it's as high as seven that, that Sports Illustrated. I mean, I could easily see them finishing out of the top ten. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's a ranking that owes everything to what they did last season. I mean, with a big program like that, the the ranking guys are always they're always, I guess, worried about about moving them too far down. Yeah, I, I, I think that I wouldn't be massively surprised if they finished outside of the top 25 because that's just what Notre Dame do, isn't it? They, they're, they're a bit like Auburn in that sense where under Brian Kelly, they seem to go up and down, up and down. I, I, I think they'll be in the teens, ultimately. I mean, I think I think, I think Buck's really good. I, I'm really excited to see him this year and I think they'll land somewhere there in the, in the teens. What do you make of Brian Kelly? I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a difficult one. I mean, it's, you know, for some of the good things that he's done, I can pick holes in even those seasons as well because it's it's so difficult with Notre Dame because of the fact that the, their, their schedule is so unlike any other big programme because they're not in a conference. So, you know, the year that they went unbeaten and played Alabama in the national championship game four or five years ago, I mean, they got absolutely slaughtered in that game. It wasn't like, if anything, all that game confirmed is Notre Dame weren't the number two team in the country, which their schedule indicated that they were. And then, you know, similar last season, it's not like, I I get Clemson and Alabama are so much better than everybody else, but it's not like that game was ever competitive. And, you know, neither was the national championship game. So, it's a really tough one for me, because I've, Brian Kelly has had some seasons at Notre Dame that you shouldn't have in charge of a programme of that size. You know, some terrible seasons. But then, I mean, it, what is it, twice in the last six years they've been either in the playoff or, or in the national championship game? He's, it's a, he's a walking contradiction, I guess. And, and really, I'm still not 100% sure how good a coach he is. And also, a guy who doesn't always get on with players as well, which is never which is never a good sign. I can think of... Who was the quarterback who went to the Packers? Second um, round pick a couple of years ago. Who he fell out with? No idea. Oh, uh, he played last year, I think. Yeah, well, whoever it is, we'll we'll, we'll figure cut this out. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We'll 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 figure out who it is. But yeah, I mean, I remember him falling out with him, and then really, really kind of sullying his name towards draft time as well. So, so yeah, I mean, what do you think of him, Sai? I mean, he's a guy of. I've I've often thought, would he be a better pro coach than he is a college coach as well? I mean, he's just an interest. Well, I think he's a good coach. I'm not sure he's a great one ultimately. I think he's a bit of a ball breaker, and I'm not I'm not always sure that ball breakers work unless you're Nick Saban at the highest. Although you know Saban, I know has a very fun side, and players often talk about it. I, I, I think you're right. I think he's more suited to the NFL, and I'm surprised teams haven't come calling for him. Frankly, um, let's kick uh, it. Deshaun, Deshaun Kaiser is the quarterback. Oh yeah, of course. Let's um. Let's kick up. Uh, Troy Pride is a name to keep an eye on if you're looking for a potential draft pick for the Irish. Um, I think a, a cornerback who's going to come in and replace Julian Love he could be a um, he could be a star in the making. Let's let's kick it up to Ohio State. We've talked about Justin Fields. Lost a lot of skill position players. Obviously, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin have gone. Mike Weber's gone. Um, where do you think? I mean, this is, speaks to the strength of Urban Meyer, of, of Ryan Day in recruiting, because you know you look at three of the top four receivers have gone, but actually KJ Hill 
who has looked fantastic already, is going to be there. You've got Austin Mack, you've got Benjamin Victor, you've got Chris Olave, who was a star against your Michigan team, the recruit Garrett Wilson, who everybody's incredibly high on. They are loaded at, 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 at receiver. And then you obviously throw J.K. Dobbins into the mix, who looks like he's going to have a massive year. Um, where do we where do we place Ohio State? Where do we where do we uh, where do we think they're going to end up? And also, you know, we've not even talked. I'm talking there just about offense, but you know, Chase Young, top five pick in the draft next year. Malik Harrison at linebacker, um, the cornerback uh, Jeffrey um, Akunda, who looks like he could be a, a top ten, top fifteen pick. Um, where do we where do we place Ohio State? Because it, they they look like um, they look like they could be a team that could jump into the playoff very naturally and lots of fuss last year about them not making it and deservedly so didn't deserve to, to, to make the playoff this year if fields clicks the talent is really there isn't there yeah and and then the, the, the recruited well again I mean they the, the beat Michigan on signing day to kick call Zach Harrison who we were actually going to go and watch last year but we just couldn't make it happen who was the the number one recruit in the country defensive end not sure how he's doing in camp whether he's going to play this year but it just again illustrates the, the level of talent that is there every year I think Michigan and Ohio State will will finish in the top seven and I think one of them will be in the playoff and I'm just not sure which I think it just it'll come down to that game and it's at it's in Ann Arbor this year so that makes it trickier for Ohio State but I mean, Ohio State win that game every year, so you wouldn't back against them again. I mean, I just think both of those teams are absolutely loaded this year. Um, and I would give the edge to Ohio State, I think, because just because I think that ultimately, if Justin Fields is as good as we heard he is, then he'll be better than Shea Patterson. And I yeah. think that might be what it comes down to. It, it, it literally could be, you know, football at its most basic level, quarterback against quarterback, because... Talent-wise, those teams are going to cancel each other out. I mean, Michigan are loaded at receiver. Ohio State are always loaded at receiver. Michigan are loaded on defense. It's just for me that could be the difference. It could be if Justin Fields is as good as we think he is. I think that could put them over the top. And then Ohio State in the playoffs are, are interesting. Like even some of the last couple of years when they haven't been as good during the season. I think they may have given teams better games than, than maybe others have in the playoff. I think if Justin Fields is, is as advertised, I think Ohio State could win it all. I, I yeah. definitely do. And, and in a in a college football year with a lot of great talent, clearly, you look at their defensive backfield and you look at Jeffrey Okuda specifically, a guy who hasn't had a lot of pub because he doesn't get he doesn't have a lot of interceptions because teams just don't throw it in. But you look at you know you look around college football at Christian Fulton at LSU and Henderson at Florida that we talked about. Uh, Stefan Diggs's brother at Alabama, Trayvon, uh, Jalen Johnson at Utah, who we touched upon earlier on, Demarcus AC at Missouri, uh, Bryce Hall who's gonna be a first round pick next year at Virginia, just talked about Troy Pride, Paulson at Adebo at Stanford. Akuda could be the best of the bunch. I mean, here's a Jim Thorpe award-winning, award-winning corner that that nobody's really, nobody's really heard of. The fifth-ranked team on Sports Illustrated's list is Texas. Is that too high for for Texas? Because you know they they certainly bounced back last year, but only only finished ten and four. Ended up beating Georgia in the in the Sugar Bowl. An awful lot, as with most of these top ten teams, but an awful lot depends on the falls on the shoulders of Sam Ellinger, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I mean, he got so much better, didn't he, as last season went on. I can see where people think, you know, he is now a legit quarterback in, in, in the college realm, at least, who we would talk in the same breath as, you know, to uh, Lawrence. He's in the tier below, but he certainly is one who could who could make the jump. You know, 
Texas is always an interesting, always an interesting one. They ended the season so well. They were so good in that ball game. But that was a Georgia team who didn't want to be there. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's, we knew that Georgia's ball game had been the week the before, hadn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I think people are reading too much into that. I don't. I ultimately don't think Texas are as well balanced as some of these other teams that were mentioning as potential candidates to break into the four. Don't think they're as balanced as even LSU, Michigan, Ohio State. Um, I actually don't think they're as well balanced as teams in their own conference. And the only reason Texas could get in the top four is because Oklahoma takes a step back and then you look at the rest of that division and maybe Iowa State aren't as good as I think they'll be. And then it becomes a cakewalk, potentially. So that's the way Texas get in, but I'm not sure ultimately they're as talented as these top teams, but they might be in the playoff regardless of that. A huge game is, is LSU September 7th. That's a statement yeah. game for, for both sides. It's, a, it's in... It's in Austin. It is in Austin. It is. It is. But they strike me as Notre Dame, I think, a team that probably has talent on paper and might not just get across the line. That running game's got to be significantly better um, for Ellinger, I think. I mean, and it's great to see them back, um, but I suggest that perhaps nine wins could be their ceiling. That, for me, I think, I mean, you know, the LSU game, they've got Houston the following week, uh, and I, I don't. That's not an easy game, especially with uh, Derek King at quarterback. Oklahoma State, Kansas, uh, you know, and then road games at Iowa, uh, Iowa State. Sorry, in, in in November, nobody wants to go to Ames in November if you're looking for a, you know, you're looking at a run at a national championship. For me, I feel like they are a team that. Um, could fall away, I think. I mean, can, you know, can this team realistically beat LSU, Oklahoma, TCU, and Iowa State? I mean, if they do, they are back. Yeah, absolutely, like hundred percent. But I, I just, I just don't see that. Let's kick up one more place. Oklahoma lost to Alabama in the college football playoff semifinal last year. They obviously lose Kyler Murray, first overall pick to the Cleveland Browns. They replace him with Jalen Hurts, who has played in national championship games every season that he's been in college football. Uh, he's won one, he's lost two. Where do we see Oklahoma? Because realistically, offensively, they don't have an issue at all. You know, Grant Calcaterra at tight end, C.D. Lamb at receiver, Trey Sermon at running back, Hurts at quarterback. Offensively, they're absolutely cooking on gas. Defensively, that was their huge, huge issue last year. Where where do you think they're sitting? I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be a unit I watch closer at the start of the season than their defence. You know, they've got a new defensive coordinator in and a guy who comes in with an incredible reputation in in, um, in Alex Grinch. I mean, I, that is the question. Because, I mean, I think the offence will be exactly the same. I, I, I watched um, I watched the, the Jalen Hurts-Georgia performance again a couple of weeks ago, just when I was doing a little bit of little bit of research into the season and just trying to kind of get my head back into it. And he looked so good in that game, throwing the ball as well. Like, And you, you've you written a piece in Gridiron side, just picking out 10 things to look out for at the start of the season. And one of the things you mentioned was, you know, maybe Jalen Hurts did improve as a passer over the over the season he was backing them up. And that that's what prompted me, um, editing that piece is what prompted me to, to look back at that performance so yeah I mean I think all the signs are there that in that offence Hertz is going to be in and around the Heisman mix I wouldn't be massively surprised to no. see three in a row I mean it's not going to be three first overall picks in a row but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised but it's the defence isn't it I always say to you I struggle to believe that they don't have talent on defence 
So we'll see if it has really been how that defence is coordinated. And, and for me, you know, I think the good thing with Grinch is he's from that same system in that he's been with Mike Leach and he's been great as Washington State's defensive coordinator when he was there. He did a good job there. So he kind of knows that, you know, it's a different style of defence when you've got an offence that explosive. It's a different way of coordinating a defence. You're not building around your defence. It needs to become a complementary piece to the offence. And that's all it needs to become. And if if they can't get to that point, then you need to start asking questions about how good is Lincoln Riley head coach as opposed to Lincoln Riley offensive genius. I mean, he's got the perfect name for a defensive coordinator, hasn't he? I mean, Absolutely. Grinch is a perfect name. I mean, they returned nine starters on defence, uh, on the, on the defence that was... Which could, which could be a good or bad thing, yeah. depending I mean, on the perspective. Look, they were the worst against the pass in America last year, not just in their conference, but in the entire country. They were the worst against the pass. Kenneth Murray is their star, their linebacker. Um, he's going to need to play significantly well um, in behind Neville Gallimore. They're going to need some serious work on the on the back end, which hopefully Grinch has been, been able to do. Let's go up one, Georgia. We talked about them. The talent is there. Jake Fromm obviously returning, no pressure now under Fromm. He's seen off Jacob Eason. He's seen off Justin Fields. Um, they've got a lot of talent, both offensively and defensively. You look at DeAndre Swift at running back. You look at Andrew Thomas, you know, should be a first-round left tackle um, in next year's draft. Fromm, obviously, the kind of ultimate game manager with a bit, you know, doesn't do anything brilliantly, but he's very, very solid in all, all departments. What, what do we need to see from Jake Fromm that's going to put Georgia into the national championship game because we need to see more development from him, don't we? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, thinking about it, what that national championship game two years ago, he was so good in that first half of that game, and yeah, maybe last year in in comparing it to that, he took a bit of a step back or certainly stood still a little bit. So I think you'd like to see. I mean, it's difficult because I think this is Swift's offense, isn't it? I think yeah. he could be he could be a Heisman candidate if it's not going to be a quarterback. So, the offensive line is so good as well that you know if yeah. you play to your strengths. I mean, the thing with Georgia now, it's almost a one-game season, isn't it? You know, that's what yeah. it's become. It's going to be that SEC title game again potentially. I mean, I, I I can see Georgia taking the next step this year, and I can see from being central to that. You know, the thing that you said at the start of that was. He's seen off Jacob Eason, five-star recruit. He's seen off Justin Fields, five-star recruit, one of the greatest high school quarterbacks ever. He saw the first one off as a true freshman. He saw the second one off when that guy was a true freshman and Lawrence was playing in Clemson. You know, That is not unimpressive. There's a reason he's seeing those guys off. So, yeah, I think it's difficult to take hold of a team like Georgia because they're so talented. You've got guys like Swift. I mean, Georgia always have a great running back, but it would be nice to just see him have a couple of signature moments, a couple of signature drives. But again, that's only going to that's only going to ever happen in one or two games because Georgia are going to probably blow the rest of the teams out. They finished last in the SEC in sacks. They're going to need to get to the quarterback significantly more than they did last season, aren't they? Yeah, and certainly, you know, you can't beat Tua Tungavailoa without pressuring him. I mean, that's... And, and like I say, that's the, the, the Georgia are now, they've gone past the level of the Floridas and everyone else. Their thing is take down Alabama. That's the aim. It's nothing else. You know, another season in which Georgia are in and around the playoffs but don't get there, or even get to the playoffs but don't win a national championship, as good as Kirby Smart has been, Georgia comes with an expectation. And they need to, they need to take the final step this year. Because, I mean, they've out-recruited Alabama at points. So... 
not last year, but the year before, they out-recruited Alabama. They finished with the number one class. So all those guys come in this year, and we see if it if it pushes them on to the next level. No, unless you know Alabama in the regular season, the biggest game looks to be that Florida game on November the second in Jacksonville. Yeah, absolutely. They're always one of the the most fun games in the, on the schedule as well. But I think Georgia are a better team than Florida. And like I said, if I had to predict a playoff right now, Georgia would would probably be in it alongside Alabama. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, it feels like wither everybody else because we're up to the top two now. Sports Illustrated has the defending national champion Clemson Tigers at two and Alabama bouncing back at one. Is that how you would see it? Would you still no, I, mean, I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Frankly. Oh, really? Uh, because? Be- because as much as Clemson have lost defensive line talent, the absolute keys to that game were the two, two, were the two true freshmen who were still there. It wasn't like it was a close game. They absolutely destroyed Alabama. I mean, it's, I find it insane that Alabama would be ranked ahead of Clemson. I mean, they, they destroyed them. It wasn't, it wasn't like when, you know, Deshaun Watson won on the last play of the game in a back and forth game. They annihilated them, blew them off the field. I mean, for me, Clemson starters clear at number one with Alabama as number two. And I know Alabama were great and they've got great wide receivers and a great quarterback. But for me, Trevor Lawrence is, it's levels. I love Tunga Vailoa, but Lawrence is a level above him. He's a year yeah. younger than him, so we still haven't seen anything like the ceiling. He doesn't make the stupid plays that Tunga Vailoa does that Tunga Vailoa needs to get cut out. He's going to be less injury-prone because he doesn't take risks with his legs as much. For me, Clemson are clearly better than Alabama, and, and I would need to see something on the field that told me otherwise. I think that front seven is the one thing that would concern me, having lost Christian Wilkins, Cleland Ferrell, Dexter Lawrence, Austin Bryant... Albert Huggins and I know did, did you not just think these for these for those two programs those things work themselves out absolutely that, but that's that, that's a significant amount of talent especially when you then throw in Shaq Smith who transferred to Maryland Kendall Joseph gone to the NFL Trailer Mar gone to the NFL That that's an awful uh, I mean that's eight starting players essentially or seven potentially the best running back in college football uh, absolutely. as well he can't play linebacker though can he or, or defensive end I, I think that's probably what I'm trying to say I think you know absolutely stacked on, on offence you know, Mitch Hyatt, for example, started 52 games, but the offense looks, the offensive line looks solid. Um, obviously, you've got Lawrence, you've got all that ridiculous receiving talent. I, I just wonder how strong that that uh, you know Isaiah Isaiah Simmons at linebacker and Xavier Thomas are going to have to really hit the ground running early. Um, I mean, hopefully they'll have their sea legs under them by the time they get to the actual playoff, which is really when their Clemson season starts. Um, do you think Lawrence can win the Heisman? Yeah, 100% he can. I mean, the only problem for him is going to be the Eddie. I mean, because, yeah. again, it's like, it's unlike Bama now, who are so clearly built around that passing game and those weapons. They've got the weapons in the passing game plus the great running back. So, But, yeah, of course he can. And, I mean, Lawrence is in that fortunate position now where he doesn't have to have the level of season that other people do to win the Heisman simply because of who he is and what he did in that national championship game. So... Yeah, he 100% can, and if the defence isn't as good, even more chance of him doing it because he's going to be in some closer games. But, you know, the, the thing with the defence is, and, and I couldn't name the specific guys who would do it, but I just remember Quinn and Williams for Bama last year and how yeah. programmes like that churn out guys who, at this point, nobody's talking about and at the end of the season are top 10 draft picks. You've got Niles Pinkney and, uh, and Jordan Williams in in a defensive tackle. They are gonna, they're going to be huge. Who Who is the bigger... Who needs to have the better season for Clemson to win the national championship, Trevor Lawrence or Xavier Thomas? 
think I, I just think Lawrence because I mean I, you know Clem, ultimately Clemson are not going to fail the defence that is giving up 40 a game but if they fail one that's given up 28 in big games then you need Lawrence to put up 35 frankly I could say Lawrence putting based on what, what they did against Alabama they could put up 50 against anybody so I think it, I think ultimately it's Lawrence number one in this ranking are Alabama where, where would you have them I'd have it's difficult they're, to me they're 1 and 1A one really I mean you look at the receiving talent at, at, uh, at Clemson with T Higgins and and Justin Ross and those guys, but then you look at Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and you know Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith and John Mechie, who's been terrific in camp. You know they're five, six, seven deep at receiver. I mean it's one and one a, and it, and I think a lot of it depends on. I mean what I'd love to see is a healthy Tua Tagovailoa playing Trevor Lawrence in a national championship game because he wasn't healthy at the end of the season. Um, and I think that was obvious in the Georgia game, and I, and I think he was carrying that injury in the um, in the national championship. Although, you know, I think even a healthy tour wouldn't have had an answer to to, to Clemson on that night. But I mean, I think uh, I think they're one and one a, which feels like I'm fudging it a little bit. But you know, the, Nick Saban, you know, he's going to be absolutely itching to get back to the top of the to the top of the college football tree. Uh, they've retooled defensively. Um, Obviously, they've lost players as they do every year. You know, you lose a Quinn and Williams, you lose a Mac Wilson. You know, and under normal standards last year, that defense was incredible until it wasn't, and it was it was absolutely exposed. For fascinating, um, to, something else you mentioned in your piece, but fascinating to see Saban essentially say that all of his assistant coaches had checked out before the end yeah, of the season. Very, very. I found that that's the one thing that makes me think. Well. You know, I'm not sure with Nick Saban's in the excuses business, ultimately. No. So that's the one thing that makes me think, yeah, maybe there's something in that. And, and obviously, that's that's the one that's the one area Alabama have been really fortunate. Uh, Clemson have been really fortunate over Bama. Their lack of staff turnover is, is astonishing. I mean, Brent Venables is... I mean, surely, if he ever decided he wanted to be a head coach, would get a job tomorrow. But clearly, is just quite happy as the... Is probably the right now the best defensive coordinator in in, co- in college football. Realistically, their schedule isn't a strong one. They've got two difficult games, and beyond that, th- their season really starts in the playoff. At LSU, obviously, will always be a difficult game, but it's at home. At Texas A&M on October the twelfth might be. You know, it feels like Texas A&M hold an awful lot of the national championship race in their hands. Playing September seventh against Clemson, playing October twelfth against Alabama. Basically, it's a it's a pass the cake schedule for the for the for the um, for the tide, isn't it? Yeah, it is for both of them, isn't it? I mean, the SEC all it naturally always is, but yeah, I mean Alabama's is just annoying as well because some of the some of the non conference games are just a farce, aren't they? Mm. So yeah, I mean it's a. I would be absolutely stunned if both teams weren't in the playoff. It would be hilarious if both of them weren't. I, I think that would be amazing, but I can see. I think they'll be one and two again, and it'll be. Probably them two playing in the national championship again. Give me four playoff teams, two national championship teams, a winner, and a Heisman Trophy winner before we get out of here. Um, I'm going to go for Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State. Um, not in that order. So you'd have Georgia. I think I I, I can see I can just see it being Bama and Clemson again, and I think that Clemson will win it again. And Heisman winner? 
God, I really went off the grid last year and picked the guy who won it without putting a bet on it. Um, uh, I will go for, I think, two of this year. Yeah. I think he, you know, he had it wrapped up for most of last season. And I just think Alabama's offence is more about two than, than Clemson's will be about Trevor. I'm going to go Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson with an Alabama Clemson final uh, national championship game. And I'm going to say Alabama to win it. And I'm going to say Tua to win the, the Heisman. But I think Jalen Hurts has a has a massive shot at winning the Heisman as well. Um, there you go. That's it. We are we are done for, for episode one. It's good to be back. How was it for you? It was magical, mate. It's always magical. <laughs> and there's a, there's, a, there's a big game this weekend. There is. Florida, Miami. Florida, Miami. So Miami. enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we shall be back next week previewing the first week of college football action. Thanks to Matt. Thanks to you for listening. I was going to say thanks to me. That would be um, arrogant. <laughs> um, and we'll see you next week. We Danes are a modest bunch. We enjoy simple pleasures. As such, we tend not to blow our own trumpets. But since Carlsberg Export has a refined, full-bodied and rather satisfying taste, perhaps just this once. Too much? Probably. Carlsberg Export, probably the most modest beer in the world. Enjoy responsibly. Drinkaware.co.uk for the facts.